the scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ruth, one of the shortest books in the Bible. Uh, there's only, I think, 87 verses in uh, the whole book. That's, that's less than some chapters in the Gospels. Uh, and yet this is a very important uh, passage, uh, a story that tells us something about how God blesses us and what God's intentions for us in this life are. And so this is from the first part of uh, the book of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah, you've, I suspect, heard of that town before, uh, went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab, which was not part of Israel. It was on the um, far side of the Dead Sea from where uh, they had lived. And they remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Malan and Chilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons? in my womb, that they may become your husbands. Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, there will I be buried. 
May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. Now, if that sounds a little bit familiar, we just sang a, a song about that. <laughs> One of the things I enjoy here, Michelle always has music that fits whatever we're, we're working with. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So, Naomi returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, there's a lot more interesting stuff in the story than that. I certainly encourage you to, to look up uh, the book of Ruth. It's the eighth book in, in the Old Testament. And uh, there's interesting things that happen in the continuing story. But we'll deal with, with what's here. The scholars that I read in, in studying uh, this passage are of two minds about why this was included in the Old Testament, because it's a short story that has nothing to do with really the books before or after it in the Old Testament. And the scholars say that one of two things was probably behind this story. One was a celebration of married life and of the close ties that can develop in extended families. Uh, together. And the other has to do with the way in which uh, God can bring together people from very disparate cultures and backgrounds and even from different countries. My own thought is that, uh, you know, in so many of the stories that are included in the Bible, they speak to different aspects of our experience. Uh, Part of the richness of the Bible stories is that they don't have simply a, a single emphasis, but they can help us understand important things from, from various uh, perspectives. So um, I look at these two different reasons why Ruth might have been included, and I'm inclined to think that uh, those who put together the Old Testament probably had both of these in mind. Certainly, Celebrating married life and the life of families, the way in which we care for each other, is important. There are a couple of things in this story. Obviously, Naomi was a pretty good mother and mother-in-law because she uh, developed these close bonds with the extended family. Naomi had a right to expect in her old age that the family would care for her. But as so often happens, life did not work out in the way that she might have expected. Both her husband and her sons died. And she was left in a strange land without any immediate family right around. Now in, in uh, that culture, 
when your husband and sons died, other family members from their side of the family were supposed to take care of you. And all of those folks were over in another country. They were over in Israel. And so the later part of the book talks about how Naomi goes back and actually does uh, receive the kind of support and help that was important. But in the meantime, what about the daughters-in-law? Obviously, Naomi and the two daughter-in-laws were very close to each other, but the daughter-in-laws would not have expected to be taken care of by the folks in Israel. And so Naomi encourages them to go back to the place where they would be secure and safe and where they would help. One of them chooses to do that, and that was understandable. There's, there's no criticism here of the daughter-in-law who chose to go back to her, her own family. But the other one, Ruth, is so closely bound to her mother-in-law, which didn't always happen in those days and doesn't always happen in these days, but in this case, it did. There was this strong bond, and so Ruth decides that she's going to stick with her mother-in-law and take care of her and do whatever is appropriate uh, in that concern. And she does that. Wonderful thing. The story does not tell us anything about the way in which Ruth had, or Naomi, had previously uh, treated her sons and their wives, this sort of thing. But what's pretty apparent is that because of the, the depth of the relationship, um, Naomi must have done a pretty good job. Um, Naomi had, had developed strong bonds with her daughters-in-law and had uh, acted towards them in a way that made them happy. That's something that uh, I suppose is one of the, the lessons that we learn from this story is that it is important when you're a mother-in-law to do things in the right way, to be kind and supportive and uh, helpful and all of those good things. Um, I think on Mother's Day we celebrate our mothers-in-law as well as our mothers. So in any case, I think many of the, the messages, <laughs> that, what are we giggling about here? <laughs> I think I think we realize that it's important in a family situation that whoever the family members are, and we don't always get to choose our family members, do we? We may get to choose our spouses, but our kids tend to make up their own mind on matters, and that's as life should be. And uh, once we are, uh, if you might say, stuck with new family members, we really need to make the best of that and to, to treat them in ways. Um, Kath and I were talking the other day. Our, our younger son um, married a woman who had three boys already, and we decided right at the start of things that we were not going to have any step-grandchildren, just grandchildren or grandchildren. And uh, we have tried to, to treat them in that way, because we think that that's a reflection of the kind of love that God has for us. God does not look at us and say, hmm, are you worthy 
of the love that I give you. He just says, I love you. Now, I hope you act in a way that, uh, you know, that lives up to that love. The other aspect to this story, the celebration of people from various cultures and countries coming together, is sometimes important for us too. There were two streams of thought that from the early days were true in uh, the thinking of Israel. And they were kind of opposed. On the one hand was the notion that you don't have anything to do with foreigners. You stick with your own kind. You, you only uh, celebrate and love people who are like you already. The other stream which was in the thinking of the Old Testament, particularly in the prophets, and later became much more uh, the, the position of the Christian church, was that you ought to be kind and loving towards people who are different from you. That um, no matter what the difference is, you ought to celebrate the things that you had in common, and that you ought to be kind and loving towards people who were very different from you. Uh, it seems to me some of that same debate is still going on in, in our country today. We have, have not uh, ever, I suppose, fully reconciled those positions. But you know, kids seem to very frequently marry people who are different from us. Uh, particularly these days when families are so spread out. Uh, I've, I've been intrigued recently. Uh, so many of the funerals that I'm involved with, and I, I play bugle for veterans' funerals, so I'm doing anywhere from two to six a week of those things. So I, I, I get to learn something about families in, in the course of that. Many funerals now are taking place fairly long period of time after people have died because it takes so long to get the family together from all over the country. It's nice that we're able to do that. It's nice that we're able to, to schedule things in such a way that everybody uh, can participate and everybody can, can grieve together. Um, but so many of uh, the people we married, I, I married a gal from New York. I didn't know anybody from New York when I met her, and we were in California at the time, and uh, she's been awfully good. We just, this is, is one month today since our 50th anniversary, so we're celebrating things like that still. <laughs> but um, she's been very good about following me around. Um, you know how it's like for Methodist preachers. Every so often we get moved, we get moved to a different circumstance, we get moved to a different church, a different community, and our spouses often get moved to a different job and a different school setting and you know, all of those kinds of things. And that can be very stressful. And uh, I was fortunate to, to get a wife who <laughs> was uh, not only willing to do that, but coped pretty well with it. So I, I felt well about that. But you know, that's not uh, limited to Methodist preachers. How many of you, particularly who are a little older, have kids who live considerable distances away and have lived in different kinds of communities and perhaps have married people who um, 
come out of different cultures or who are of different races and so forth, sometimes those differences can be a source of conflict. And one of the things that comes out of the, the um, story of Ruth, I believe, is this notion that, you know, it doesn't matter whether someone who joins the family is different from us. We welcome them, we, we learn from them, we celebrate our things. Our one daughter-in-law comes from Germany, and I've learned to appreciate good German cooking, <laughs> which uh, I hadn't known as well before then. But what is important is not that we focus on the differences, but that we look on ways to celebrate the things that we have in common, that we enjoy the gifts that each other has. And it, it's the same way in, the, in our church family. You know, when we have people who become a part of what we are, who are different, come out of different backgrounds, different experiences, we ought to celebrate that. We ought to enjoy the, the, the vitality that comes with that kind of diversity. Well, um, Mother's Day is one of the hardest Sundays to preach on because the emphasis so often is on the positive. And, and that's good. Some years ago, I was serving in a church in which we had uh, a number of people that I got to know well who had come out of abusive family situations, who had a lot of conflict with their mothers, either because the mothers had been abusive or because the mothers had not protected them from abuse. And it was very difficult for them. They would skip Mother's Day church services generally because that reminded them of, of the hurt and the pain that was in their part. One of the things I learned a long time ago was that I was not a perfect father. None of us is perfect. You know, John Wesley used to say that our goal should be going on towards perfection even though we have not achieved it. And so in our relationships in a family, there are things that we can celebrate. And sometimes there are things that we need to forgive. Uh, sometimes we fall short of taking care of our kids the way we wish we could and the way we intended to. And so Mother's Day can be a day, for some of us anyway, in which it's appropriate to reach out and to forgive our mothers for those things that have been on our minds for so many years. And if, if you happen to be one of those, if there are issues that you had with a mother who is no longer present or with a mother who is still around. I would encourage you to use this day as a time to, to forgive, to, to deal with those issues that have been on your mind and to put them behind you. Mothers, I think, always have wanted to be good mothers. And if they do not fully live up to that, well, 
that's part of being human. But where do we go with that? Do we allow that to make us bitter or perhaps to make us less than the, the mothers and fathers that, that we would like to be? Or do we forgive that and begin to move on uh, in life? You know, God forgives us for all kinds of things. But the expectation is that we forgive in turn, that we learn from God. There's a passage in Isaiah in which the prophet says, you know, God watches over his people like a mother watches over her children. We should try, even late in life, to build the kind of relationships that help our other family members to become happy and successful and whatever is involved. I've been um, dealing with uh, a longtime friend who has just had a terrible time with, uh, with a son. Uh, who is troubled. And uh, the son actually is in prison right now. And uh, I was able to, to put her in touch with another friend of mine whom you may run across in this area, John Hafley, who's, uh, who works very heavily in uh, prison ministry. And we were able to get some help for that son in the prison. And now the, the son is working and he's continuing his education there. And, uh, and so part of what has come out of that whole encounter is that the son has begun to turn his life around. But in order to do that, the mother had to forgive the son for some of the things he'd done. Well, that's what God expects of us in this life. So Mother's Day, if there are things you need to do to rebuild your relationship to your mother, even if your mother is not present with us in this world, anymore. Look towards that forgiveness. Well, let me tell you a little bit more about myself these days. Uh, this is the time of year when I'm getting a lot of requests to preach at different places. I'm going to be preaching for you again August? Uh, somewhere, somewhere along the line I'm on the schedule. But we have a number of pastors who are moving and I'm preaching to help with that transition, and we have pastors who are going on vacation and things like that. And just as you do, when I preach there, usually um, they will provide me with a check to help with expenses. And uh, I don't ask for that. There are some small churches, and I'm glad to go out there. I preached recently at a church some distance away that has an average attendance of two. <laughs> and uh, we had a great time. Um, I'm always glad to help those, those, those small churches, and I don't expect money. But when I get a check, my custom is that I give that to one of the mission projects of the United Methodist Church in the name of the congregation that gave it to me. Um, the church pension fund has been good to me. Uh, we don't need the money. And some of, these, some of these mission projects really do. So I'm, I'm glad to be able to pass that on. I'm glad for you to get the credit. Now, where I will send the check that uh, I got from you is a place called the Four Homes of Mercy. It's in 
Bethany in the West Bank of Palestine. Uh, Bethany was where Mary and Martha and Lazarus and, and others lived. Uh, it's a home for people with severe neurological disabilities, of which there are unfortunately many uh, in the Middle East. Uh, provides them with uh, a home, with supportive services, and uh, with some very interesting type of things. And the, the donations that come in that way uh, help them to have field trips, things like that. A couple years ago, uh, some of the money that I was able to send their way helped them to build a bocce court. I don't know if you're familiar with bocce, you know, it's an Italian game, you roll balls. But one of the nice things about bocce is that uh, you can play it from a wheelchair and many of their residents are in there. So they put the bocce court in, they formed a bocce team, and then they uh, competed in the Special Olympics in the Middle East. And lo and behold, the Four Homes of Mercy team won. Well, here were a bunch of people who have been told all their lives that they're useless, that they're a drag on society, that they can't do anything appropriate, and they won. They got the awards, they got the publicity. And that would be good for anybody, but for, for these particular people, that was just a, an absolutely marvelous thing. And so that's the kind of thing that we're able to do by sharing together. Uh, the other mission project that I work with is a school and church in one of the rural areas of Liberia in West Africa. I've been over there several times as well. Um, this summer, um, the school has been adding a grade each year, and they finally got all 12 grades, and so their first high school graduating class is happening um, this summer. And uh, so there's a, a group of kids who have done well in school. Um, I've had a chance to review some of their uh, accomplishments, and they will be some going to work and some going on to college there. And we've been able to help make that possible. And part of what helps make that possible is the money that I'm able to pass on from congregations like this. So I get a lot of enjoyment in life from being able to help other people. I recommend that way of living to you. Uh, it's a very satisfying lifestyle when you're able to do things for other people in that way. so Well, in any case, read the rest of the book of Ruth and uh, think about the ways in which it speaks to your situation and to all of that. By the way, you may have noticed that I'm sitting for this. Uh, I had a knee replaced uh, several months ago, which has gone very well. Um, but as an interesting kind of side effect, when I fixed the knee, the knee got to be a little bit longer. All of the uh, cartilage had gone away. And so my back had gotten used to having a short leg on one side, and now it's adjusting to having a full length leg <laughs> on that side. And uh, that has, the knee doesn't bother me, but the back does. <laughs> and so until uh, till my back gets used to that, I have to be very careful how I move. Um, always thought it was inappropriate to, to move the wrong way and end up on the floor, you know, in the middle of the sermon or anything. So thank you for allowing me to sit. So good enough.